Well, we are starting a new series called One Small Step. One Small Step. What I would like us to do this morning is a little, uh, a little communal interaction, if we can. I want you to turn to somebody, preferably somebody you don't know. Find somebody. I mean, we can move around a little bit. And uh, I want you to think about this. Uh, what's your favorite restaurant and your favorite food at that restaurant? And what I want you to do is tell that person or those people you're around what your favorite restaurant is and the food and kind of give them a, 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 you know, a, an idea of what it tastes like to you. All right? Did you get it? Your favorite restaurant, favorite food at that restaurant, and not just name it, but explain it. You have three minutes. Go.
let me ask you, how does a new restaurant get traction in a community? Who's, somebody said it. Word of mouth. Uh, word of mouth is one of the best ways that a restaurant can get traction in a community. Uh, in fact, uh, they can throw out all the glossy prints that they might want to all day long, but if it, if it doesn't match what you think it should, then it won't, right? Even some of the holes in the wall, I'm sure that some of us had a few of those were like, yep, this is, this is one of my favorite restaurants. You probably have never heard of it. It's like here, right? So, uh, I mean, it's, it's, that, it's that one dish too, right, that kind of tips it over the edge. So in my explanation, I, uh, I didn't even share the restaurant, uh, but it's Delot. It's, uh, you know, off of uh, Main, uh, well, Main, Celine and, uh, yeah, Celine Main Road or whatever in Ann Arbor. Uh, just a small little Vietnamese restaurant uh, in the wintertime. So for me, it's hard for one restaurant. So I can go from restaurant to restaurant and tell you each one I would like. So I love it. It's a bone broth uh, dish, uh, pho, and it has this thinly sliced beef. Uh, but the, the flavor of the bone broth is incredible. Nothing difficult about it. It just takes a long time to do, right? And so we often have these. And so if you're into that, you know, and especially in the wintertime, that's usually when I like to have it because it's a, it's a hot dish, right, soup. But I heard scampi, right? Who, what else did you hear? And where else? Anybody got a place you want to try now? All right, good, good job. We tend to sell, we tend to sell what we like. Well, I had a, 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 f- a few friends over, or, uh, I was over to a friend's house, excuse me, a while back, and this friend was showing off one of his latest inventions to a few of us. And while we were wowed by his build, uh, there were more people that were wowed by his lights. It was just uh, one of those things that everyone, like, why is it so bright in here when it's usually quite dim? Uh, nothing grand per se, but somebody did something that nobody usually does. And it's kind of like one of those things uh, that you see as seen on TV. Uh, these, are, these are the kind of lights that uh, this gentleman was showing off. He's like, yeah, I just screw those into the light socket, <clears throat> and I have light in my garage that most, most people do not have. Excuse me. <clears throat> it, I mean... It's in those kind of situations that we, we tend to get sold on something new, something different, something that's like, wow, you know, uh, you know, I think even Kathy nudged me and said, can't we do that in our garage, right? When something works, when someone follows through on all the promises, when someone is changed and transformed, we tell others. We tend not to keep it to ourselves, We want other people to know what has changed us or what is illuminating us in these days, right? We want that to be shared. Our very lives, our mouths and our very lives become walking billboards for what we're advocating for. Uh, That can be dangerous on one side, right? But it can be very good on another. Whatever that good news may be, we're going to proclaim it to others around us. 
It is going to be the what it is. Uh, what the organization is doing, what that restaurant is serving, right? That new vitamin that you're taking that gives you the boost that you're looking for, uh, the surgery that went successful. You're going to share those things. Uh, whatever it may be that works, you're going to proclaim it. Uh, the why doesn't have to be told because they see it. It's already being displayed through what you're saying, what you're showing them, what you're telling them, whatever they can see and hear. Uh, friends, if you've come here today and you're, you've yet to follow Jesus, I, I just want to let you know that we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks some things that Jesus expected those of us who are followers to participate that if we love God, love all people, and follow Jesus, we are going to be about these things. Yet, it's the very thing that we find most difficult to, to do. Uh, Rick Warren was, has been noted to say that it's the only thing we won't do in heaven, but it's the one thing we have to do here, right? And that is evangelism, that, that key word of evangelism, the, the good news, uh, we talk, and, and this idea of sharing about Jesus, his surrendered life, uh, his whole life, his life on a cross in an empty grave, that is what we're called to do. Yet, we, we tend to not be so bold about this. So we're going to be talking about evangelism for the next few weeks. Uh, while uh, this, this word in the Bible is kind of, uh, can be seen and, and then not seen. We want to talk about it a little bit uh, in its original form. Euangelizo and euangelion, uh, those two Greek words, really just mean this, to proclaim good news. Uh, they're based on Old Testament uh, uh, Hebrew words, bizarre, to just announce, announce something. And so evangelism is to proclaim good news, Simply that. If you have been in the church a few days, you may have heard that that's something, as I've said before, that's something that we are to be about at all times, in all places, in all spaces. Uh, we'll get to that a little bit. But check these stats out in regards to, uh, in regards to evangelism. Nine out of ten practicing Christians agree that, that part of their faith means being witness, be, uh, being Faith means being a witness, excuse me, for Jesus. That's 96%. I want you to follow with me. Eight out of 10 strongly agree that the best thing that could ever happen to someone is for them to come to know Jesus as their personal Savior. Next one. One quarter also believe it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith. We have a collision, don't we? And I believe we probably have a collision inside this room of that, that, that belief that Jesus is the only way, but I don't think it's my job to share Jesus with somebody else. Well, it's kind of interesting because I think we need to look at the word of God to see what Jesus himself did. If we're about practicing the better way, uh, practicing the way of God, we need to take a look at that. So if you will, uh, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And I'm going to start in the uh, 39th verse. Uh, would you stand 
to honor the reading of God's word. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. He is indeed the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Evangelism is simply telling others what Jesus is doing in your life and inviting them to experience Jesus themselves. Inviting them to experience Jesus themselves. That's exactly what happened in this story. The Samaritan woman was uh, engaged, encountered Jesus by the well uh, outside of the village, and she encountered Jesus, and when she encountered Jesus, she realized that he had the hope that her heart was longing for. See, we all have this longing for hope in our hearts, And much of the time, it's misplaced until we place it only and solely on Jesus. She had come to find that out. I mean, maybe you remember the story. If not, you can go back and read it a little bit later. Uh, The story kind of went like this. Jesus asked the woman to get him some water, and and she's like, why are you asking me? We shouldn't even be talking. We're uh, you know, you're a Jew. I'm a I'm a Gentile. I'm a Samaritan. Shouldn't be happening. They get through that, and I'm sure the woman offered him, gave him the water, and then, then he starts to reveal the layers of her life right before her. And as he did, she, they get into this conversation, this spiritual conversation, this Jesus conversation during this time. And as they were having this conversation, she comes to realize that uh, the, the hope where she was placing her life on, the future hope, not in the current hope even, the future hope was even misplaced in and of itself. That the Samaritans, Jews, had a different place to worship. They had a a, a different ideal of how it should be done. And Jesus clearly identified that he was the Messiah in this conversation by revealing everything that she had, had done up to that point. She goes back to the village Uh, once the disciples come out, she heads back into the village. And as she goes back to the village, she realizes, or not she, she she tells, sorry, she tells all of these villagers, you've got to hear this guy. You've got to hear what he has told about me. I mean, he knew everything about me. So the Samaritan woman was the hope displayed for the village people. Okay, don't break out in song. But the village people are kind of, kind of wondering, wait a second. And you have to wonder too, right? Uh, here she's had multiple men in her life. And she is willing to kind of bring that out to the open and lay it before them and say, look, he knew all of this. That, that must have been the strangest conversation in the world, right? The most revealing 
conversation, but no. What became of that conversation was one of healing and hope that was delivered to her. So she becomes this hope displayed for the village around them because of what Jesus had done and was doing even in the current moment in her and through her, realizing, bringing her hope to a place of help. And I love the end of that passage, or that passage, it's not the end, but at the, towards the end of the passage, it says, then, the, then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. They themselves encountered Jesus, that Jesus was their hope that they had always been longing for. In Luke 19, uh, verses 1 through 9, we have the uh, conversation uh, between, uh, we see the conversation between Zacchaeus and Jesus. Uh, You can turn there if you'd like, but this is what transpires in that, as well as the previous one. Hope's hunger is unfulfilled in the temporal. It will always be unfulfilled in the temporal. Zacchaeus was curious and longing for something more. I mean, something different. What would make him scramble up a tree as an adult man to get a view of someone walking along and just proclaiming something? What would do that? I mean, it just gave way to some hope that was longing in his heart, right? He was, is this the answer? So he scrambles up, and while Zacchaeus was attempting to see Jesus, I believe that Jesus saw him as he was scrambling up. I believe that. That as he was scrambling up, Jesus is like going, there's a man that's hungry. There's a man that wants to be changed. There's a man who, well, I can get a meal from. No, I'm kidding. He did, though. So Jesus invites himself to Zach's house, and all of Zach's friends are there at the house, too. What a forum. Uh, the, hosp- the table of hospitality is opened up, and Jesus begins to discuss their life with them. I-, I think that's exactly how it happened. So tell me about your life. How's it going? We're, we're, how is that working for you? Right? Whether they were tax collectors or other types of people, I don't know. But Zach's hope, was he was trying to find it through financial gain. But what happens? Listen to how quickly the hope of Jesus changed Zach's life. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. I have yet to be a party where somebody stands up and says that. Have you? Look, whatever you need, Pastor, let me write the check. Uh, By the way, if, if there's a little inkling, just let me know. Right? I mean, Zacchaeus' change went from greedy to generous, from stingy to freedom and liberation. This is, this is hope on display. Jesus' only and right response is found in Luke 19, 9, right? We know the salvation has come to this house today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who were lost. 
An encounter with Jesus, think about this one, an encounter with Jesus is more, power than an, more powerful than an encounter with death. Now, we know that Jesus can orchestrate some of that stuff, right? And he uses that stuff, I should say. But Jesus knew both the Samaritan woman's hope was misplaced and Zach's hope was misplaced. It was just in the wrong place. They both needed a conversation. Some of you thought I was going to say a conversion. I think they needed a conversation that brought them to the place where they said yes. And they agreed with, with the only one who knew them the way they did, that, that, in the way that he did, the one and only who created them. But this is the truth, right? All of us have, met, have placed our hope in the wrong place. All of us have. In fact, some of us maybe this morning have placed our hope in the wrong place, even though we're followers of Jesus. If we're a follower of Jesus, we have to place our hope only and solely in Jesus himself. He's the one that that fulfills every hope and every longing that we ever have. But even in light of that, as we follow Jesus, we, we need course corrections along the way as followers of Jesus to realign our hope, not put it in our kids or our family or our wealth or our job or how well the pastor does this morning. Seriously, yeah. But on Jesus alone and Jesus solely. But this is the conversation in regards to taking one small step or evangelism that I think we need to have as a family is that we need to take these steps of having these conversations with people who are far from God. So how do we do that? How do we, how do we meet people in their hopes and longings like Jesus did with the Samaritan woman, how he did with Zacchaeus? Because we all, even in here, and our friends and family members right, to varying degrees, have these hopes and longings. We have these hopes and longings. We need to place it, we need to place our hopes and longings in the someone, not the some things or the someones that fulfill them. We are all, we're all hoping for something. The books we read, the movies we watch, the songs we listen to, the paintings, parents, teachers, we could go on and on, continue to paint a hope for us. But where does that longing truly get satisfied? Where is it for our friends and family members that we are, well, we desire for them to come to know Jesus as the Lord and Savior? Where and how do we do that? Because we have all of, these, all of these cultural and worldly, the scripture talks about worldly things that are vying for them. Whether it's uh, work, family, kids, money, sex, online fulfillment. Some in the church just seek religion, not Jesus. Right? It's found in Jesus. And Jesus is the answer to all of it. The longing is the same whether you whether you know what the answer is or not, to fulfill that heart. 
And as followers of Jesus, if we're, if we're in relationship with somebody who doesn't know Jesus, we realize this to the very core of who we are. That to truly, as I said last week, to truly love somebody is to share with them about Jesus. But let's just talk about this. Let's just talk about this. What is, what's our world telling us and the methods in which we can employ how to share Jesus with others? So Jesus' conversations can create a hunger for hope. Jesus' conversations can create a hunger for hope. I want to dip into a little bit of research that I, I, I uh, did, uh, did some of my work in uh, this week regarding this. Researchers ask people how many conversations about faith they've had in the past year. And they discover something interesting about that. This was done in 2018, but I believe the statistics still stand. A higher number of faith conversations correlates with a greater level of openness to exploring faith. Did you hear me? So a higher level or a greater level of openness, a greater level of conversations that you have with others about faith opens up a a greater pathway or a greater hunger and curiosity about faith itself. So this is, I believe, is one of the truisms that I've kind of pulled from that, is people desire access to life to get hope, or we can put life in there. Life in terms of the capital L life that Jesus wants to give. That as we have conversations about how, our, how Jesus is intersecting with our lives, and how what he's doing in our lives, not what he did 20 years ago or 25 years ago, but what he's doing today in our lives, that we will we'll create a hunger or a thirst for more of Jesus and more of curiosity into the spiritual side. So we have to ask ourselves the question in this idea of sharing Jesus or evangelism uh, can be kind of one of those nemesis words, I suppose, in our culture, is how are we doing to allowing how are we doing at allowing people access to our lives? Jesus allowed Zacchaeus and the Samaritan woman access to him. He shared with them. He was in conversation. I think he probably had maybe a little bit longer conversation with Zacchaeus because they were at a meal and those meals went on and on. And they talked, but he had this, they had this access to him. So spiritual hunger is not static and if we're followers, we have the ability to increase the hunger in other people that are not yet followers of Jesus. So how do we do this? How do we create this, this hunger with others? Well, part of the research says that it comes through long-term relationships, especially in our world the way it's formatted now. Uh, a few years ago, I know that Ipsy Free was huge into EE or evangelism explosion. You go in the door, you knock on the door, you basically ask, if you were to die tonight, there's probably other questions, but if you were to die tonight, uh, would you go to heaven or hell? I, I remember employing some of those same practices with some of my friends in high school. I was a senior in high school, and and uh, there's this buddy and I who were followers, and we'd pray for our class, and we'd pray for our school, and we went to every single senior because we didn't know if we'd ever see them again. And we began to, you know, uh, ask them the questions. And that was one of uh, my f buddy's favorite questions to ask. If you were to die tonight, right? 
and in, in a couple of those responses, they were open to it because we had a long-term, I mean, we'd gone to school together all those years, right? But in others, they were like, are you kidding me? Right? Are you going to, are you really? This is how you're going to enter this conversation. Uh, you know, some odd years later, the, the world in which we live is not so open to those kind of, those kind of embracements, but they're, they are open to conversations that are long-term. So how do you do that? How do you have these longer-term conversations with people who you know uh, would, their life would, would be liberated, freed, loved, cared for? They wouldn't be striving so hard the way they are. They wouldn't be struggling with life, right? We know this. How do we, how do we embrace this? Well, we, we have to have this, this genuine desire to, to be with others. But it has to be has to be laced with the Holy Spirit because there is a grand fear in this day to, uh, to present Jesus in a lot of places and spaces. Uh, the Holy Spirit has to go ahead of us and we have to pray ahead. We have to pray on behalf of wanting the Lord to work in those situations. But in this day and age where the screen is, can be almighty, in its, in its way, we have to focus on the other, on the converse side, on hospitality, on conversation, and we have to have keen discernment in the process. We have to have keen discernment. Generosity, as marked by the millennials in 2018, their, their idea of, hosp, of generosity is hospitality. You having a conversation with them over a long period of time that is laced with faith, is laced with Jesus, is proactive in those conversations, but that's what they see as, as, as generous. This is the caveat, though. It needs to be non-judgmental. Uh, while the rest of the world can live in judgment, it does seem about a lot of things. When it comes to those of us who are followers who want to have conversations with those we love the most, with our neighbors, our coworkers, it has to be non-judgmental. That we have to become. This is why it has to be laced with G, the Holy Spirit. We have to become ultimately trusting that the Holy Spirit is going ahead and going around us constantly. That we don't have to. We don't have to manipulate a conversation. That Jesus is tenderizing the hearts and lives to those who want it. That's tough. That's tough because we are, we are, principal, we are people that have, are raised for uh, having productivity uh, based on what we think, what we want, and when we want it and how we want it. But the Holy Spirit is faithful and will go, around, go with us and go around us and help us with that. Ultimately, if we want to see people like the Samaritan woman and Zacchaeus that are in our lives come to know Jesus, and I would argue that if you're a follower of Jesus, there's, you have to warm to this. It may not be your first spiritual gift, but it is something he calls us all to. We'll get to that in a second. That we have to warm to the idea of sharing our lives with others who do not know Jesus in order for them to come to know Jesus and to listen to them in a non-judgmental way that allows them to speak their fears, their worries, their concerns, and we can speak faith 
trust, hope, love, and grace back. So we may be part of the quarter who push back on this idea of sharing Jesus, sharing our faith with others. But I would, I would bring us back to the very foundation of which we believe that the scripture instructs us on in how to be and to live. Uh, Matthew 28, 19. Probably don't need to be reminded of this, but we're called to go and make disciples of all nations. This, if this is a place of contention for you, let me ask you to just take it back to the Lord and say, Lord, how do you want me? Because I, I am... I'm struck with fear. I don't like doing this. But the Lord calls us to go and make disciples. And the, the cool thing about this is that Scripture is kind of, when we read it, it thinks, it's almost like we have to go somewhere else to do it. But maybe you know this. It's, it's where you're at, what you're doing right now. As you are going, where have you been today? Where are you going to go later? How are you going to allow the Holy Spirit to use you to share Jesus so that our friends and family, like Zach and the Samaritan woman, can come to know and encounter Jesus on their own and in their own way? We're called also to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. There can be no greater loving act than to share Jesus with someone as prompted by the spirit of the living God. No greater act. No greater act. And I love this passage in John 20, 21 through 22. Uh, it's before Acts, but it has an Acts kind of feel, right? Where Jesus, he's resurrected, and he, he says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. You're not supposed to do the work of the kingdom under your own power. We're supposed to do the work of the kingdom under the power and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So as we think about the summer, and we think about uh, having backyard barbecues and play dates and opportunities with friends and family that we don't have, often or we have more space for, or we create more space for, can I just encourage you to prayerfully consider how the Lord wants you to use, not just the summer, but all times. But since we're on the edge of summer, it just seems almost appropriate because we do have those opportunities that don't afford us other times. To be able to speak and encourage and invite people to consider an encounter with Jesus himself. Let me walk through a few questions that I would have for you as you, would th as you think about this idea of taking one small step. So what is your story? What's your story? What is Jesus changing in you? What's he changing in you now? Yep, it may be a little vulnerable, it may be a little uncomfortable, but what is he changing now that you, you could use as part of your story when you're talking to someone else. Could that very well be part of what Jesus wants you to, to share? Not everybody's interested in the one that's, I mean, when you got saved, I mean, I love my story when I got saved, 
but they're, they're interested in what the current, current thing is, right? What were your fears God overcoming in you? How has he given you a peace? Where are you living in, in faith where you would have been normally living in fear? Let me ask this. Who do you want to tell? Who do you want to tell? Now, uh, I, I, think, uh, I think we should always have a list of five, six people that we're praying for their salvation or we're praying for an opportunity to share Jesus with others. Because as we do that, guess what's going to happen? We pray about it, and the Holy Spirit provides an opportunity for it. But if we do not pray about it, if we're not seeking it, the less likely that you'll have an opportunity to share about it, less likely you'll be prepared to even share about your faith even. This should be about our daily task of praying for the opportunities, whether it comes through a phone call or other opportunities. Let me ask this, because part of the study uh, is kind of interesting. There are people in our culture who do not want to know. What do we do with them? They could even be family members. They could be our kids, our siblings. They don't want to know. I, I, think it's kind of an, I think it's rather interesting that Jesus sent out his disciples two by two to do ministry. And when he sent them out, he said in those places and spaces where they're not interested in uh, a conversation about Jesus, not even really Jesus, really they were looking for people who are of peace, uh, that you're to kind of move on from that. Uh, uh, regarding the convert, I think in, in most in regarding the conversation about Jesus and faith and walking toward him, that you might want to pray for them, but it may be time to move on from them and that conversation piece because it's going to harden their heart potentially more than it's going to help their heart. And we have to trust. This is, again, we're praying that the Holy Spirit is going ahead of us, telling us, informing us, but we can as parents, grandparents, we can be impassioned people about my kid needs to know, right? My child needs to know that Jesus loves them. Absolutely, no doubt about it. But are we trusting the Holy Spirit to lead the conversation or are we leading the conversation? We need to be wise to that and wonder, we have to ask ourselves, do do they want to know right now? Do they want to live? Do they have a hunger? Is there a longing? And there's a hope that you can connect to. Because when we're force-feeding somebody, we could do maybe far more harm than we could do help. This is the last question I would ask. Whose story are you getting to know intentionally? So if relationally, uh, Jesus goes to the woman at the well, he asks for water, and then he kind of leans in, and he, they have this conversation, and he listens to a part of her story. He, he sees where there's an there's a, there's a opportunity to bring conversations of faith into it. With Zacchaeus, uh, the pump was primed. He had heard the crowds coming, and Zacchaeus, you know, scrambles up the tree. But the question still is there, whose story are you learning who's far from God? You're listening to. That they know you have an interest in them, not only to see them come to Jesus, 
but you're interested in who they are. I think that that's vitally important in our day and age where we live and how the world perceives us as followers of Jesus, as, as followers of Jesus in Christians. Just a few questions for you to ponder as we continue through this series. I love, again, the response of the village people. Now we believe. Not because of what you, the woman at the well, told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. Our task is not to save people. Our task, uh, if you will, our mission is to bring them to Jesus and allow Jesus to encounter them. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that sometimes that one small step seems like it, it's a, a lot larger, a lot longer, and a lot, a lot more detailed than it needs to be. I'm grateful, Father, that the Holy Spirit leads us in these conversations and gives us opportunities to, to, to see our lives intersect with others. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the opportunity to, to raise the faith question, to raise the Jesus conversations. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in here, Lord, who uh, you have a hunger to see uh, a friend, a relative, a neighbor come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Knowing the freedom and the liberty that you give. That's not just now, it is forever. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that as we as we take a, another turn and focus in on what it means to share you with others, the Lord, you would help us to step up our game, to take the, take the next step in the journey with that individual, with those individuals. That you would not only help us to take the next step in a conversation to allow them to encounter your son and our, our savior. But Father, that you, you would allow us the opportunity even to wrestle with our own story. What are you doing in us? What are you doing through us for the greater good of who we are, but the glory of your name that we can share with others? Lord, I pray that you would lead us. Lead us into those opportunities. It's your heart that those who are lost come to know you. It's your heart that those who are far from you come closer to you. As as we know that's your heart, Lord, may we draw close to you even now to reflect, to spill out, to share your love with the world. This I pray.